If I were the devil, I would assemble all my minions and my demons in my strategy room and I'd give them your phone number, your picture, your email address, and I would review with them your weaknesses one by one. I would tell my staff about your bouts with doubt. How I all but had you convinced that the Bible was a joke. So, if I were the devil, I think I would try to take your joy. I'd try to load you with so much anxiety and fear and dread and trepidation that you couldn't sleep at night. The devil knows he can't touch your salvation because you're a child of God bought with the blood of Christ. And no one can snatch you from your father's hands. He can't take your salvation, but boy, he can take the spring from your step and the sleep from your night and the love from your relationships. So if I were the devil, I might download a dump truck of guilt on you. And I would, every time you step forward in faith, I would remind you of the times you fell, the times you stumbled. Just last week, just two decades ago, I'd just keep that scrapbook of sin circulating through your mind. And I would whisper, you really think there's enough grace in the world to cover you? I would leave you just in the shadow of a doubt. And if that didn't work, I would try what seems to be his most popular tool of the day, and that's distraction. I would post my minions on every corner, every stairwell, every office and they would load on you things to do, people to see, tasks to complete, sales to make, assignments to complete, one thing after another. Do this, do that, do this, do that until if at all, if you even came home, you'd come home exhausted. Distraction, busyness, clutter, Hurry, catch another flight, write another report. Hurry, 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 hurry. Or distraction in the form of what you read and see. Staring at a phone or a computer for hours and hours. Leading life through a screen. Counting likes, counting friends. How many hearts did I get? (laughs) Measuring self-worth according to the number of people who looked at your Instagram. Suck you in. I would keep you so busy, you'd never have time to read God's Word. I am convinced that Satan's intervention plan today is to keep God's people so busy with the things of this world 
that they have no time to devote to their spiritual lives. Sometimes being busy, B-U-S-Y, just means being under Satan's yoke. If Satan can encourage us to get our lives so full of other things that we have no time for God, he has begun his work in us, and the ultimate end of it will not be something that is pretty. The devil is a liar, the father of lies. He has carefully studied each one of us for a very long time. But I guess my point is, and my question to you is, how long have you studied him? The devil begins early in our life by bombarding our minds with cleverly devised patterns of little nagging, nagging thoughts, doubt, fear. He moves slowly and cautiously. After all, well-laid plans take time. So we're in a war. Our enemy is Satan, not people. We war not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and wickedness in high places. And he'll try to do everything he can to distract you. He takes his time to work out his plan. If we do not know our enemy, we do not have much of a chance to be victorious over our enemy. Now the Bible tells us a great deal about the enemy of our souls. The Bible tells us in Ephesians 6:12, for instance, that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, and against the rulers of the darkness of this age, and against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. John Phillips tells us we should remember when we read that, that our enemies are not people. <laughs> we must see beyond people. Satan may use people to persecute us, they may use people to lie to us or cheat us or hurt us or even kill us, but our real enemy lurks in the shadows of the unseen world, moving people like pawns on a chessboard. And as long as we see people as enemies and wrestle against them, we are spending our time in vain. We get focused on the people and we lose sight of where the battle is really being fought. And if we continue to do that, we will continue to lose. We will continue to go backward in our Christian experience. The devil is a divider. He came to split. He likes to split marriages. He likes to split friendships. He likes to interrupt community. Any place you sense gossip or tension or separation or hostility or unforgiveness, it smells like the devil. That's the scent of the devil what he did in the garden of eden separating adam and eve from god is what he wants to do with every person separate us from god and separate us from each other he's the opposite of christ who said love the lord your god and love your neighbor the devil wants us to avoid or not worship god or even hate god or doubt god and avoid and hate our neighbor he is he he, he dwells in the world of isolation Loneliness is his payday. If you're lonely and separated, then he's smiling and rubbing his hands with glee. Now let me tell you some things that I've learned about Satan. First of all, he is the great deceiver. He's the great deceiver. Revelation 12:9 refers to him as the one who deceives the whole world. 
which he does by counterfeiting and camouflaging. He tries to imitate the work of God, and he does it very effectively. He's the great deceiver. He is also the great divider. Did you know that Satan's purpose is to divide and conquer? Satan has always been a divider. When he was cast out of heaven, he divided the angels, and he took a third of them with him. He instigated division in the first family, pitting Cain against Abel. Wherever you see Satan at work, there's always division. And he loves to divide the people of God. If we could only understand that, we would step back from our petty differences and realize that we're just playing into the hand of our enemy, whose purpose is to divide. He does not know the meaning of unity. He has no concept of unity. His whole strategy is the strategy of division. He's the great deceiver, and he's the great divider, and thirdly, he's the great destroyer. When God allowed Satan access to the life of Job, what did he do? What did Satan do when he was given free reign on Job's family? He destroyed everything. He destroyed his servants, his cattle, his children, his family. Satan is the destroyer. Listen to me, ladies and gentlemen. Satan has one plan for your life and mine. He wants to destroy us. He wants to destroy our influence for God. We ought to pray against him every day. We ought to pray that Satan would have no place in our lives because he comes to deceive, he comes to divide, and he comes to destroy. You have an enemy with one sole purpose, to deceive you, ultimately to destroy you. Satan is a very real person. He's a liar, he's a deceiver, and many, many, many people are very deceived, and their deception is very evident when they say, I don't believe in such a person as the devil. And one of the first things he does is to point out something in your life that you don't have. He does not remind you of how much you do have, how blessed you are, how healthy you are, what you drive, where you live, what you wear, he points out the one thing you don't have. What about, suppose you had that. He's a liar. He's a deceiver. And he uses the same tactics he used in the garden. You'd think by now we'd have caught on. How does he operate? He points out the thing you don't have. So that if you want to be complete, you'll have it. Did it satisfy her? No. And it doesn't satisfy people today. He creates this desire in order to get people off base, off track. If you only had that, listen carefully, you can't ever have enough of anything that is not the will of God for your life to ever make you happy, ever make you feel complete, ever make you feel content. You'll just go from one thing to the other, believing one lie after the other. You find yourself in self-destruction. I think Satan is happy with convincing you to worship anything or anyone short of God. If he can convince you to worship a girlfriend or a boyfriend, if he can convince you to worship a career or a retirement account, if he can convince you to give everything you have to get that lake house or that boat or whatever, You see, when we worship something, we depend upon that thing or person for our identity and strength. 
That's what worship is. And we align ourselves with that thing or that person. So the devil knows if he can get me to worship a bass boat, then someday that bass boat is going to rot and I'm going to be disappointed. And he'll just chalk that up to another victory. The reason God wants our worship, please hear this. The reason God wants our worship is not because God has an ego problem but because he knows if we worship small things, we'll be heartbroken. We'll go from defeat to defeat to defeat. We'll worship that person only to be rejected. We'll be heartbroken. We'll worship that career career only to be dejected and be heartbroken. We'll go lurching through life, up and down, up and down. And finally, when we get to the final days of our life, we'll be cynical and disappointed. We'll say life wasn't all it was cut out to be. For our own good, God says, worship God. Worship the endless, strong, powerful, loving, radiant King of kings. Let your mind be consumed with heavenly thoughts. Let me indwell you and empower you. Because that is the bread of life. Satan chooses his timing. He knows when we're the most vulnerable. And that's when Satan will attack. He knows exactly when to attack us, how to attack us. He knows our weakest points. Everybody has a weakness, at least one or more. That's the way he operates. We know, for example, that Satan will attack weak spots first. If you want to fill in blanks, that's your cue. So the rule of thumb is take your weak spots to Christ before the devil uses them against you. Acknowledge, this is a struggle that I have. This is a challenge that I have. Lord, I give it to you so that when the devil tries to take it or take advantage of it, you've already given it to Christ. Here's what you need to understand about the nature of the devil. He's an opportunist. When you're the weakest, he's the most evil. The devil doesn't control our thoughts, but he influences our thoughts. He he wants to whisper thoughts of fear to us so we'll accept them and he can control our lives. God God will never use fear to control your lives. And when you read in the Bible, it says the fear of the Lord, that means a, a reverence of God. That does not mean a negative emotion. It means a positive emotion, a reverence for God. God will never, never bring fear into your life to cause you to do anything. The devil wants you to believe that God's always kind of mad at you and he really doesn't like you. That's the concept of God the devil wants you to have. Your high priest is madly in love with you and when you go to Jesus and you say, Jesus, I'm tempted and I'm feeling fearful, Jesus says this, I experienced that, I know exactly what you're feeling. Let me help you overcome it. Fear is expecting the devil to move. Faith is expecting God to move. And we choose. You can put your eyes on the devil or your eyes on God. And I think that fear is the main thing that Satan uses to try to control people. Fear keeps you from going forward. How many things do you think that the enemy has stolen from you or kept you from doing just because of fear? Don't let fear steal your life. Don't let fear steal your relationships. Don't let fear steal your joy. God wants you to have a good life. But one thing's for sure, you have an enemy, his name is Satan or the devil, and he does not want you to enjoy 
your life. He wants you to be afraid all the time. The devil would love for you to live by fear because when you're afraid, you run away. Fear makes you want to run away from, from what you need to run to. The Bible gives you two tools. Number one, pray. 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 When the devil knocks at your door, turn to Jesus and say, would you please answer that? You don't need to deal with the devil on your own. You don't need to go into some odd hocus-pocus exorcism closet and do some type of mystical stuff. That, that, all you got to do is turn to God. Glance at the devil, but gaze at Christ. Glance at the devil. He is around, but gaze at Christ. Pray. And number two, arm yourself with God's word. Arm yourself with God's word. Load your pistol with scriptures and keep a finger on the trigger. Jesus reacted and responded to temptation by quoting scripture. Jesus responded to temptation from the devil by doing what you can do. And that is, he quoted scripture. Take that devil. It is written. It is written. It is written. In his book, God's book is enough. Jesus overcame temptation, not with special voices or supernatural signs, but by remembering and quoting scripture. That's it. You just need a Bible to read it and receive it. God's word is an indispensable weapon. In the same way, prayer is essential in this ongoing warfare. Pray long and hard. Pray for your brothers and sisters. So according to the Apostle Paul, what are the two tools? God's word and prayer. And this conviction that God's spirit who is in you is greater than the devil who is in the world.